Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. Now that I'm trying to do them weekly again. Um, before I commit to that verbally, I'm going to try and do them every week. Whether or not that occurs, totally up to my laziness, I suppose. Or enthusiasm, or work schedule, or how I go after going to puppy training. Um, this week, my guest is w- one of the first guests I ever did and has now appeared four times on this podcast, the most of any person, so that's mad, uh, Callum Preston, who everyone listening to this podcast surely knows already, but Callum is a good friend of mine who does uh, a lot of things. Um, he does art and design, he does filmography, he helped make a book with his partner and their business partner, um, he is, you know, in business with those guys, with a deli and a restaurant, and he plays in bands. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff. Um, last time we talked on this podcast, um, well, the actual episode I did with him was two years ago, a bit over two years ago, um, and it was the fourth episode, I think, and it was the was and is the longest episode I did, which we talk about. Um, this one's considerably shorter, uh, which is a good thing, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, I had a fun chat with Callum. We basically caught up about some things he's done over the last two years since we lasted that last one and then just talk shit and definitely could have kept going for a lot longer, but restricted it to an hour for the sake of probably doing more again in the future. Um, Calm's been awesome in terms of assisting me with this podcast in ways and, you know, he's just a good bloke. So it was fun to have a chin wag with him. Um, we recorded this episode in a quite a boomy room. So excuse that if that bothers you at all. I don't think it should. Um, but yeah, uh, enjoy the podcast and, you know, listen to some of the old ones. Uh, <clears throat> subscribe to us on iTunes if you feel like it. You can like us on Facebook and Instagram and we're on Twitter as well and SoundCloud and Stitcher and whatever. I'm going to keep trying to do these as much as I can. So please uh, keep an eye out on those. Callum promotes some stuff in this that you should keep in eyes and ears on as well. So look out for that. Otherwise, Mental Cavity, my band, is playing a show in Canberra at the front on the 12th of August. You want to come with blight worms and needle dick? What a band name! Um, yeah, that'll be good. Uh, Mental Cavity will play some new songs, so come and see them. Um, otherwise, I don't know. Comic Con's on. Bunch of good trailers. <laughs> Go look at them. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, here's Oblivious Maximus, episode sixty-seven. With Callum Preston for the fourth time. Fucking brutal. This is the fourth time you have done the podcast. The four? I was thinking it was yeah. oh, two live. Uh, I was, I was both, like, both the live ones. Yeah. You were ringing. I Stephen Bradbury into the, into the live one. Yeah. And Jeez. you did the first live one. And then you did the longest ever. <laughs> when. Okay, so. Matt Weston's rolling in his non existent yeah. grave. Um, someone asked me. This is a good way to start it. Someone asked me a while ago. Oh, how long do these go for? Because the one you did with Callum was really long. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. That was like, I think it was like the fourth one. And I don't know if we talked about it on it, but you kind of got in a car accident before. No, I like fully crashed the car on the way and, and it didn't look like much. And it was one of those things that like, oh, it's just a little bump in the front. And then I took it in and they're like, yeah, the whole engine has shifted back like two inches <laughs> and you have to replace this whole kind of front thing. Yeah. But yeah, it went super long. We took a break because you, you got pretty drunk because we, we were there for ages. Yeah. Well, I, and I got drunk. I, I 
Cause you, cause you got in a car accident. Oh yeah, it you delayed had to wait an the hour. time. Yeah, yeah. So I got drunk waiting. So I got there, and you guys had watched, I don't know, Star Trek something, and in drunk. Yeah, yeah. But that was you were still finding your feet for the podcast. Yes, so it's it's definitely my fault. I can talk a lot, but no, you, I, I you also too. didn't have any real. No, and plan. I I thought because I remember thinking at the time, like I was I. Because it was only like the fourth one I'd done, I'd listened to like heaps of Mark Maron podcasts ahead of starting oh, yeah. it. Notoriously short, those ones. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I remember thinking in my head like, the first one was like an hour, the second one was like a bit over an hour, third one was a bit over an hour, and I was like, man, I don't know if this is long enough. Like an hour, could think comparing yeah. it to like. That being said, he also does like thirty minutes of talking before the guest yeah. gets on. I, I'd skip it until I hear a little bit of guitar twanging, yeah. and you're ah, okay, this is go. where he's yeah. noodling in. Okay, cool. Um, but I, I, like, yeah, I can't remember who it was. Someone was like, "Yeah, I don't know if I got two hours up my sleeve to do this thing," and I was like, "Don't worry, it's totally fine." Like, oh uh, yeah, the, sorry. <laughs> the sign on that one should have been like, "When I needed to pee," should have been like, "All right, that's enough." Like, yeah. Oh man. Well, anyway. That being said, when we did that when we did that first live on too, that was another learning curve that you were there for. That yeah. I just drank way too much before we started. It, I I don't think I sound drunk on it, but like I was definitely pissed. <laughs> and like the sec I did a pee before we started recording. Yeah. And the second we sat down, like I picked up the pint, had yeah. a sip, oh, and I was like, I gotta piss again. <laughs> You need a you need a tour manager for yeah. your own podcast. Someone could instruct <laughs> me not to get drunk before I do them. Um, yeah, because you can normally just be silently riffing away, half pissed, and no one really knows. And they go, yeah. oh, "That was a bit sloppy, but whatever." Yeah. But if you've got to, you know, guide this ship. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. a really good job. Yeah. Hey. Well, <laughs> it's uh, Sunday. What Sunday morning ish now? Sunday noon. Yeah. I can't. So we're doing okay. I can't be You're drunk. Not pissed, though. No, I'm not pissed. Um, but what are we going to talk about? Because I've given you, I've, I, I'm totally out of content. I've, I've said everything I had to say <laughs> across um, those. Well, okay. So last time, it was two years ago, I think, when we did that first one. Yeah, I think right. that's how long I've been doing this for now. Yeah. yeah it would have been two years ago. Because I was like number three or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so two years ago, I think the deli had just opened. Yeah, yeah, it would have, because it's like about it, two and a half at the moment. Yeah, because yeah. I think that was like a brand new thing. We, I'm just trying to think about the things we talked about that yeah. were like brand new then, because then we can cover the gap between then and now. Yeah, okay, cool. So the deli was brand new. Yeah. There was no such thing as the book. Yeah, true. Um, I presume you've done fuckloads more band shit. Yeah, I hadn't done the Back to the Future show. No, you hadn't done the Back to the Future show. That was actually, that was like really coming up. Yeah. Because you talked about it on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been coming towards that. And yeah, so we can just start going through some yeah. of those things. Um, okay, let's, well, let's talk about the Back to the Future show. Yeah. The, the end result of having the DeLorean. Yeah, the so Ripper. brief recap. In Back to the Future 2, Marty goes to the future and he arrives uh on a on a date, uh, why the fuck am I blanking on that date? October, October fifth, October twenty second. Man, I, I focus so much of my life around that for so we'll long. We'll look we'll look it up afterwards, and I'll sub yeah. the exact. No, no, <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's twenty first, October twenty first, two thousand fifteen. That's yeah. where he like goes to. So I had this vision, like, oh, I should do a Back to the Future art show on the day that he arrives in the future in the movie, because that's the last part of that movie. That exists Like it yeah. was all Past stuff Yeah Future stuff So when I was a kid Watching it I would just fantasize About like Oh imagine what it's Going to be like then And yeah. you know uh, We'll get hoverboards And blah blah And it's it's great And I do love it But like For the two years Either side of that I got tagged In so many Facebook articles About like oh, Mattel's releasing A hoverboard yeah. Or like Nike's got these shoes Or whatever And I really appreciate That people think I'm into it But I feel like it's You know when you tell An auntie that you're Into the yeah, colour yeah. Oh, yeah I'm really into The colour green And then all, everything You get from them Is green forever yeah. Like you're like I said that when I was nine But yeah. well, I'm 26 like now Any person Extended family member Tagging me And like anything That's like Like a Like a hard times article That somehow Got <laughs> to like like it's been like yeah. shared enough that it gets yeah. to them and I'm like yep I, yeah. I know thank you <laughs> like, yeah yeah or it's like and I mean 
is super sad, but like the Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington and yeah, stuff, yeah. I feel like that's where my mum goes, oh, and did you see that band Linkin Park? And I go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, that's crazy. Like A friend of mine from the US posted the other day, uh, she tweeted and it was a, a message from her dad that said, the singer from Linkin Park died, did you know him? Did you know him? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Man, it's... Uh, but anyway, so the Back to the Future show, I was going to do a group show and then uh, being a little bit up uh, of a control freak, I guess, I was like, I could do it, but then I'm going to spend all my time organizing it, getting other people's stuff lined up, hassling people for their artwork or whatever. Yeah. And I'll get to do one piece for this whole thing. And I had so many ideas. I was like, I can never just figure out one thing to do. Yeah. So then I was like, well, I have enough time and enough motivation that I could just do a whole show of my own work that is like a group show. So that was the aim. And then the thing I'd always wanted to do was build a DeLorean. Yeah. Uh, originally, a few years ago, I was like, oh, I'll make one out of cardboard. That could be cool. And mm. it kind of bounced around ideas. And I was like, maybe I'll make a giant paper mache one or something. And then um, I just sort of thought, oh, I could build it out of wood. And I started telling close friends about that and friends that I have involved with artwork stuff, just sort of bouncing ideas and... And then I guess I just kind of got a bit uh, like I just started telling too many people. And so yeah. then someone would go, hey, man, how's the DeLorean going? And I'm like, shit, I didn't even know I told this person about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, good. And I'm thinking, I haven't even started it. And people are like expecting it now. Yeah. I've gone in too deep. And then I was like, no, no, I said I'd do it. I should do it. And so, um, yeah, I built the DeLorean and there was 56 other artworks in the show. Yeah. Um, ranging in size and medium there was photographs there was sculpture there was paintings and a lot of sign writing based stuff uh and it was awesome it opened on the night that marty arrived in the future yeah we had the delorean parked on smith street with it had a battery pack had all led lights under it and a smoke machine out the back and stuff um it nearly got hit by the tram when we were moving it when we were (laughs) so it's basically like a giant billy cart it had four wheels and a and a chassis and then i built on top of that yeah it was to scale i had a scale model that i upsized from so all the curves and the lines were there but it was built out of scrap wood and plywood and and hard rubbish like it was like part of it was made out of an old door that i found inside the street there was all kinds of stuff the steering wheel was the top off a stool that was in the studio that someone (laughs) uh i just took the top of it cut holes in it to make the steering wheel shape attached it and then it was like four months later someone goes anyone know where that red stools guy I was like oh it's a steering wheel on the DeLorean now like, oh okay um, so yeah but we I got about nine friends to come help and we rolled it my studio is behind where the gallery is and we rolled it out and around the corner and it rolled but it didn't have steering as such so it was basically yeah. like it's like pushing a you know any kind of large piece of furniture that's on wheels you do this sort of awkward <laughs> like sl- slide yeah turn. you gotta yeah. like everyone push one corner and so we're pushing it out into Smith Street and it sort of nosed out and the tram was coming along and you know, there's that sort of yellow line where yeah. the, the nose is hanging in, it's dinging as it's like flying along the street. We got it in, whizzed past. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had it parked out on the street and then it lived inside the gallery for a time. Uh, and then thankfully the guys who run uh, the Hills Are Alive Festival down yep. uh, and New Year's Eve on the Hill, they were super into it and um, we worked out a deal and they, they bought it off me and it got put on a car trailer and taken down to the farm. So it's been there for, yeah, coming up three years. Um, and they had it craned up on top of the shipping container that was the bar. So there was like where you got your drinks from, there was this smoke machine light uh, DeLorean. And then this year they actually uh, did a bit of alterations and cut the bonnet open and kind of built it into a bench seat and had it perched on top of a hill. So you could kind of sit like in a big wooden couch Oh, that right. is a DeLorean overlooking the stage and stuff. So, uh, but I think it's 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 not. It was never made to last for long. Yeah. There's a lot of wood in it, but it was never going to last forever, especially outside. So um, I think within this next six months, especially in the winter time, it's going to become a giant bonfire at some point. So yeah, yeah. we've we've been talking about it. So when it happens, I'm going to go down and film it because that'll yeah. be epic. <laughs> It's a sick result, though. Um, oh, perfect! Because it was a lot of fucking effort building it too. It so it's good that it's it got more use than just yeah. being at your show. And it wasn't till it was pretty much done, and I had nine people moving it that I realized I didn't have anywhere to put it afterwards. <laughs> like, it I didn't was, have anywhere to put a full size car. <laughs> yeah, like, and you know, we're in Collingwood. It's not like people have garages. Mm. It's, it's just sort of is. 
So I built it in the loading dock at the studio, but that loading dock is a loading dock. It needs to be cleared. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so dream result for that because uh, I had nowhere else for it to go, but I didn't want to just to have to break it down and chuck it out. Or, yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah, that it was really cool. And the show was awesome. <coughs> um, I'm actually working towards a, another solo show, which will be my my next one since then. Because in between that, uh, it's a lot of work planning and I guess yeah. think just thinking up all the things you got to make too. Yeah, well, and it's like put it's like booking a, a gig, putting on a show, yeah. except you're the only band, <laughs> and you've got to guarantee that everyone likes all your songs, and you got to play for three weeks. You got to play, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, it's like people coming into a show, hearing that song, and going, "I'd pay two hundred bucks for that song." Here, here you go, I'll give it to you. Yeah, you've got to make pe- so. Yeah, doing putting on an art show is super stressful because you're basically saying, "I worked really hard. Judge me." Yeah, yeah, and it's full and, it's, on. and I mean, I guess the other thing too is like I think people, not not that I this was like surprised me, but I'm not like in the art world in in that sort of sense. Yeah, but like I guess when I think about that stuff, particularly like with yourself, like I just sort of in my head I was like, "Oh yeah, Calm's just gonna make a bunch of cool shit and it's gonna be a thing. I'm gonna see a bunch of people there. I know it'll be yeah. great. See the stuff that he's done." I, it didn't even like cross my mind for a second until I walked in like, oh yeah, you're going to sell these things too. Yeah, like yeah. people are going to buy these to like make this worthwhile. Costs money, <laughs> yeah, there's like yeah. publicity costs of that. Yeah. And it's different to, because you're trying to market to the masses. It's not like a show where you're like, oh, there's an existing fan base of this band. So yeah, put yeah. Them on. Um, and you know, some people know of my work or whatever, but you can't rely on Instagram. Like everyone that follows you on Instagram isn't turning up to the show or no, everyone exactly. that's ever... You know, maybe you know people might know the Violent Soho logo that I did, but that doesn't mean that they give a shit about a wooden DeLorean. Yeah, whatever. yeah. The the Back to the Future one, I wouldn't say it's cheating, but there's an existing yeah. You built hype off the fan that. base, or and the timing of it. There was a lot of stuff leading up to that date. There was trivia nights and like movie screenings and stuff yeah. of the film. So that was cool. Um, my next show is probably more of a challenge in that sense that I'm. It's my. It's all my own work, and I'm really, yeah. There's not that, the pop culture thing around it. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. it's it, like anything like that though, as well. Is I mean, it, in a sense, it's the same as doing band stuff too. In the fact that, like, you know, when you play a show, I can pretty much rely on X amount of my friends being there, X amount of these yeah. people being there, or people that like the band. But like the other thing you got to think about too is like my friends aren't the people rushing to the show to buy the record. Like no, no. it's people who see us and like us who buy the record. And, yeah. it's, and that, that's the other thing that's like hard. And it's, I mean, it's hard with playing music as well. It's like getting beyond that first step of like, no matter how many of your cool mates like stuff, like yeah. you got to get to the next, you know, set of ears or yeah. eyes or whatever, you know? Yeah. And like, I think it's also difficult when you're, if you know the people in the band, you kind of you're always going to see the band differently to the average punter because yeah. you you go oh yeah I can see this is his like uh, he really wanted to do his like stoner doom band yeah yeah so this is him doing his thing whereas someone else goes I love stoner doom bands this is the band for me yeah so with the art stuff it's it's very much the same like you know a lot of my really close friends are involved in art are also artists themselves mm. and so I mean you know how it is with people that are in bands you kind of you're a bit too inside baseball with it and you're in there going, well, I'm not really going like, to... Yeah, well... Or can I get a door spot or, you know, it's yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it, as well then, but the other thing is like you start that sort of... I kind of feel like sometimes it really trivializes how you view it and it really makes you like hypercritical as well. And I'm, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like I know for sure, like, okay, a perfect example is like that last Luca Brasi tour they did. Like, yep. love those guys, love the band. Mm-hmm really good friends with them whatever but like seeing them all i could think about was like man this is crazy that they're playing this venue like and like there's so right. many people here oh what about that cool thing look at that backdrop that's yeah. cool and like this is cool and like oh you know it's re- like awesome that like brad fulton works for them like i'm yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. about like stuff that has nothing to do with yeah or, they play good songs like yeah. i'm looking which down, is what matters. i'm looking down the crowd going who are these people yeah. like there's a there's a guy in the pit watching footy on his phone. Like this is amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I just heard those people saying that they're going to the Ding Dong DJ set yeah. after this to see Luca Brasi DJ. Yeah. It's like, 
Luca Brasi DJing to me is just someone hitting replay on the YouTube video of, <laughs> I don't know, take the pressure down, like yeah. fun or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's the thing. And, and you kind of, because you're also viewing it from point A, where it's like the first time they came to Melbourne and played at whatever, you know, opening for whatever, or they pro- you guys played with them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you you still remember that whole backstory about that. Yeah. That's what I think when I, when I see someone who's like ultra cool, I just think, man, that must be a lot of work. Like, to be like... Because I'm like, at some point, they were just someone's kid and then they were a teenager yeah. and they were in school and then they were... You know, they worked a shitty job and they did all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think it might, there must be an element of those people because I feel it and I'm sure everyone does that in my head, I'm still like 14-year-old fat records catalog buying. Yeah, yeah. Like pseudo awkward you know what am i going to do with my life teenager yeah so when i see someone that's really killing it it's um it's interesting to wonder like i wonder what they think do they do they walk into this room of people that they're about to you know host this event at or talk to as a speaker and kind of go i wonder if anyone knows that i'm faking it and yeah. i've and i've spoken to people you know my of my dad's era who are business type people that do public speaking events and stuff and they're their general opinion is that everyone feels that way. Everyone sort of says, "Yeah, oh my god, everyone know everyone's going to know that I'm a phony." Yeah, but you're actually not. You are building this sort of your knowledge, I guess. I think as well, it's when like brushing. Not that I've had this, but I mean, ev- I mean, everyone does it some way when you're involved with like creative things. But mm. like when you brush past like elements of fame or you brush past like like more notoriety than yeah, yeah. what you you know expect yourself um it's really funny how you see one how like people can change obviously that's like not an uncommon thing that happens like yeah. that people's exclusive breaking news here. <laughs> yeah. fame changes some people, people are assholes <laughs> when people pay attention oh, to them right. um no but like it is funny when you see like again like I'm using Luca Razzi as an example because assholes yeah, totally like fucking dickheads <laughs> um, no but like because they're the most recent thing that I had yeah, to do yeah. that was like but like like really funny like that like there's people now that like this band's music and people like are really big fans of this thing that I that has just been like a peripheral thing like they've gone like our new records come out on Facebook like yeah check it out guys and it's like oh cool yeah, because and when you're in, when you experience something like that, you're not getting the media push of it. You're no. getting the like, get a friends, get a mum and dad, yeah, yeah, check out the new record. It's available, and so you're seeing it from this very sort of wholesome. You're not getting the countdown and the like JB Hi-Fi poster, yeah, yeah, pre-order bullshit. Like, yeah, and it's yeah, and I think that's like, and again, like you said, like it's because you, now like some of the excitement's gone because I've seen too much of it. I think. Whereas I, then, yeah. then there's other things too, like. That I still, like, you know, even though I'm not a part of it, like, every time I got put up a tour poster, I'm like, is it going to have Australia on it? <laughs> and it never does, but, like... And hang on, I'm just going to adjust the clock that I had to the I Hate God reference coming in. What you had we? 19 minutes. Nice Long time today. Huge. Um, no, but that's, you know, and I, as much as I, you know, it's easy to sound a bit, not burnt out, but you kind of go, yeah, but, you know, like when I see that Luca Brasi show at Billboards in Melbourne, which is a place that, you know, I went in the early 2000s, I went and saw like, I don't know, Newfound Glory play there or whatever. Yeah. I was like, this is massive. No one I know is going to play here yeah. or, or whatever. And it's sort of, I get so hyped on that. And I've, you know, I did some stuff with um, the Smith Street Band with, uh, on Groove in the Moo. I went to like one of the Bendigo one to do some video stuff for it. Mm. And people were losing their mind. And I was like, these are... I, it gets me so excited for my friends who are working hard. Yeah, yeah. But it's also... They're on the other side of this where... It's... At some point, your band becomes a thing where you know all of your fans. And, you, you know, it's your, you go to play a show at The Rev. And it's yeah. like, all your friends are there. And then there's those regulars that you kind of recognize from the show. And then there's this sort of... This Rev crowd or whatever. And then fast forward a few years and it's like... I don't know anyone in the crowd at yeah. all. And like, not only that, they don't even seem to be from the same world as I am. Like, yeah. And I feel like that would be a struggle for a lot of bands, especially bands that have um, something to say and a positive message or mm. or a message they want to get out there. And sometimes their fans, 
may be the exact type of people that they're talking about. Yeah. It's, you know, if you're talking about, um, you know, the, the bro culture of these kind of festival scenes and stuff. Yeah. But in order to survive as a band, you have to you be, be involved it. in that. Yeah, so yeah. you're sort of feeding the beast that you're actually working against. But at the same time, it gives them a great opportunity to make a difference in that they're yeah. actually, they're getting a direct line to the type of people they're talking about. Hey, don't be a dickhead at shows. Someone like Camp Cope being on Laneway can yeah. be like, we don't take this shit anymore. Mm. And it makes people realize it more than... Uh, yeah. They're not in the bubble because they're getting called out on stuff. So yeah, I think it's. I think the other thing too with that that stuff is, is like it's weird when, like it must feel weird when you're, like, implying that you know you've got this message and you've got this idea, and then the image that's coming back to you is like the opposite of what yeah you know you yeah. you see yourself as or whatever. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not a reflection of what you imagine, but yeah, that's that you're right. That's where you get the chance then, I guess, to to do something different with it. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the other thing too is like it's not <clears throat> not like surprising that those you know, bands that like like that or whatever that have, have sort of gotten popular. Like it's mm-hmm. not their music isn't a far cry from you know, it's not hugely different from other things, but yeah. they do their own thing. So that's yeah. how they've managed to like carve themselves out. They found a pocket that, you know, they could fill. But like the the people that merge between that and flow between that is interesting as well. Like how yeah. um like you said, like and I guess in Australia, like a big thing for that is those, you know, festival tours here that yeah. have four or five shows or whatever and they're enormous shows and then in in the in-between times those bands go back and do their own things and those grow in bit by bit from those fests and things like that yeah i was looking at like the instagram feed from splendor in the grass yeah and i'm like oh i don't know half like three quarters of these like people will be like yeah like Johnny Two Dicks and the seven seconds are playing and i'm like who is this and it's like some dj with an acoustic guitar and a weird thing and then I'll see Luca Brasi and they're killing it and yeah. the crowd's there for them as well. And I go, how does this crowd, how does the Peking Duck crowd also <laughs> have, you know, did they see the Paul Kelly cover mm. and that's enough to make their, the name stand out so they go and watch and it's like, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's awesome. I feel like it's super, um, you know, in, especially in my time, like I went to all the big day outs when I was a kid and then yeah. seeing that festival rise and then fall off and, um, you know, I went to the one when um, Limp Biscuit played and the girl was killed in Sydney, which was super sad. And they cancelled, I think, Limp Biscuit's appearance in the Melbourne one, or there was some sort of change in the lineup because of yeah. what had happened. And as a, ki- a younger kid and a punter, I was just like, oh, this, this, like these festivals are crazy. Like it's all the biggest bands in the world and all mm. of this stuff. And having that kind of fall over, and it meant that these smaller. Not that Laneway is a small festival by any measure, but it, it started, it started as a, small, yeah, yeah, it started very small. And um and Saint Jerome's, like Saint Jerome's Laneway Festival, Saint Jerome's was a tiny little bar that's as big as my bedroom. Yeah, yeah. In Melbourne, and we used to go there. And I feel like uh for something that grew out of a little block party for a tiny bar to be this massive touring, internationally touring festival is yeah, huge. And it's and then we have bands that are friends of ours and bands that play you know the front bar at the rev a couple of years ago to mm. be playing on these festivals is is massive it's super exciting i think that this sort of the rise of the independent or at least semi-independent band and yeah. label and management and all that stuff is is really cool yeah um well, i think i i think like that raises a, a good point too in that um like how that's then impacted on someone like yourself or mm-hmm. like some like Patty, for example, yep. as well. Like how with, you know, the people you know and the people that you've worked with yep. developing, that's also changed a lot what you've had to Definitely. do for those people. Yeah. And no, you know, there's uh, in my, I never pictured that someone I know would end up in a high role at Warner Brothers and is going to call me up and say, hey, Coldplay needs a new yeah, record yeah. design. That just doesn't happen. Mm. But what we're seeing is smaller bands getting bigger and getting involved with these management companies that are also smaller. Then yeah. all of a sudden, like a few years pass and they're making a lot of noise. And then, you know, I did, 
the design I, I never thought that I actually went from like oh I designed for small bands and now I design for big bands mm. I've just designed for bands and their level has changed to a point where all of a sudden you know the Violent Soho skull design that I did I don't even know what the unit count is on shirts and things that's <laughs> been sold I kind of don't want to know because it would probably it, I didn't get a per unit dollar amount but like you should have put a, a Callum Preston TM next yeah, to yeah a, t- a tax on that or something yeah. I think I, I'm super into like old skateboards and collecting yeah. that stuff and I was reading this article about the original like Tony Hawk Bones he would get like two bucks a board yeah. and it was like talking about his monthly check because this is in you know the 80s or whatever yeah and he's like oh you know i think it maxed out at around ninety thousand a month like for boards that i was selling and he was getting you know two bucks a board yeah um yeah like people that was that's a similar thing like a small thing that kind of gained this momentum and mm. um but with the yeah the smaller labels growing and le- and bands switching to different companies and stuff and also bands being completely independent like yeah smith street for example i work directly with the band there's no middleman and i love that because it's like i can get such a clear view of what we're trying to work on um and i don't work on all of their stuff but we've worked together on a few projects and it's been really cool and then they use their friends their whole artwork is by steve baker who did the latest album art and he and i are friends so i can be like hey steve i need this file to be able to do this i'm not dealing with some yeah, yeah. publicist who's going to talk to the the web assets guy and he's going to give yeah, me the high res it's like um so it's it's kind of a nice period but i feel like with the art show stuff it's i wouldn't be able to do art shows if i hadn't have come up through music yeah because i wouldn't know where to start and it and there's a big window of uh, because people come up through art school or they're um you know they might be really well studied finished artists or fine artists or whatever there's this sort of um, industry around them where it's like, oh, here's a gallery consultant and here's a gallery and this is how much commission they take and here's a person that'll put together your press release and your marketing plan and mm. and here's the buyer list that we're going to sh- sell to. But it's like, if you approach it like a band, you're like, well, all right, I need all the materials. So that's your instruments. I need to like get the studio and, and set up and do all my work. So there's your rehearsals. Marketing of it, is the same as a band as far as i can see it's better to have a marketing background in like promoting shows yeah yeah getting people to come to a show is is really difficult yeah it's hard work but and, you, and it's not something i don't i think that as well is like you much like playing music or you know you know working on art or whatever yeah. like you just keep plugging away and you inevitably end up getting better at it unless yeah. you're like terrible at it from the start yeah. and you should have stopped but like I think like yeah, organizing, yeah, trying to corral any group of people into one area, particularly alternative adults, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, a hard task. Yeah, and I mean, I I love art. I love going to art shows and stuff. But there's definitely just as much with music. I uh, not tonight. It's yeah, Friday. Yeah. I've been yeah. I've been working all week. I'm not doing this. Yeah. It's raining. Whatever. But the um, as much as there is uh, not so much in Australia, but I feel like it's a very Hollywood thing. But it's like. You know, if you, you see these uh, sort of like, you have like Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and all these sort of pop stars. Mm. There's also this whole level of like skeezy record, like, um, you know, creating boy bands, creating pop stars, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And there's people pouring heaps of money into, uh, you know, developing a talent. So they've got this girl and we're going to try to grow her to be mm. on this Ariana Grande kind of like pop thing. For every one of the big ones, there'd be hundreds of, you know... So many. Especially, like, if you're talking Hollywood, like, rich parent funding the dream of this kid who wants to do it. They get all the best production and film clips and they've got songwriting teams who they've written for Bieber and they've written for this stuff. (coughs) So, in the art world, there's a similar thing where it's like, I'm going to get in with this gallery and I'm going to get... This person's going to be my sort of rep and they're going to sell this for me and stuff. Mm. But there's still no guarantee that you're going to have a hit song or a hit show. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's, I, I feel, I feel bad for people who can't take control of their own destiny a little bit in that sense, because yeah. that's like, as much as I like making artwork, the whole idea of how to get it out to people and how to have it appeal and people have this experience is just as exciting to me. So, yeah. Well, I think as well, like I think 
and you've definitely done it in the same sense that like I think myself and a lot of people have as well is when you get to a point where like I just don't care anymore if people like or don't like what I'm doing really because yeah. I know that I'm going to do it anyway well, and like I, I hope people like it yeah. and it's cool if they do because it means that like I'm not just you know an f- idiot and just doing it f- for whatever like yeah. there's people are getting something out of the things and th- that's trying to be creative and be artistic whether it's through you know art or whether it's through music or just even like doing this like mm-hmm. i think you know like I, I didn't do this for a little while right and then the only reason i didn't do it was because i had like i had a lot on at work and yeah. i had like did music shit every weekend so yeah. i was like i can't be bothered recording a podcast on wednesday yeah. like i just want to watch tv yeah. and but then like <clears throat> You know, I sort of thought like, I want to do that again because I talked to some people. And then what I was like, I just want to talk to people again. And there's things coming out. There's interesting things that I want to speak about. And then, but then as well, like, you know, I played a show and someone I didn't know came up to me and was like, I thought they were going to come up to me and say like how like good they thought the mental cavity set was. And I was like, no one one thought that. No one thought that. (laughs) The dude came and was like, man, really missed the podcast. Love Canberra. And walked up and I was like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to whoever that dude is like you gave me so much confidence i was just like oh i gotta do the podcast again <laughs> oh, that's amazing yeah <laughs> but the fact that and the icing that he just was like love Canberra, love camera <laughs> like, like that's somehow i've really <laughs> kept that going through infrastructure wise favorite city <laughs> for sure yeah um yeah it's it that's exactly it though like with the back to the future show i was like i'm gonna take nearly two months out of doing other stuff and just focus on like just doing all this work. I was doing preparation stuff and chipping away at works and that's where I'm at right now for this show later in the year which is going to open December 1st so it's the very end of the year. Yeah. But I'm chipping away on stuff and then I'm going to block out a couple of months to just work on it and I kind of like look at what I make in working times and I go, well, worst case scenario, I'm going to be down, you know, X amount of dollars. Mm. Can I cop that? Yes. Uh, but if I sell, if one person likes a few things and I sell a few things, then I make up some of it. But it's like, I don't know. That's I see that as my uh, that's my indoor cricket team. That's my yeah. that's my like being a you know I don't I don't have a lot of vices. But you know if if I wanted to spend lots of money on being a member or a Patreon subscriber or whatever something, that's what this sort of is for me. It's yeah. like um, What's yeah, it? like I think. Yeah, like, I mean, a similar thing with, like, with putting... I, I, like, I've been fortunate, as I, you know, lots of our friends have as well, is that, like, people wanted to put out the music that I've written, exactly. which is great. But then, you know, it's some, like, within that, too, like, people often don't think, like, particularly the scale that I'm at or that some people, bigger or smaller, are at, is that the way money comes into that is very, like, hit and miss, and it's yeah. not all the time. And it's actually like right now, although it's like difficult to do time-wise, do music stuff as much as I would like to do it. Yeah. Like the fact that I make more money because I work more means that I can, the music stuff that we put out sounds better. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm like, like you said, like I'm totally happy to funnel all my money into it because I don't have indoor cricket or I don't have like, yeah, I, I, you know, you know, people who do up their cars or people who totally or go, get on, go on holidays all the time yeah. to places or like travel or buy you know people get hobbies and they buy expensive cameras to then take photos on the weekend or whatever yeah, like, yeah. that's all part of their an outlet for someone mm. um, some people want to go and like bet it all on horses on the weekend or like yeah. whatever but for me it's like it's a calculated risk. Like, yeah. I'll do this and I'll get enjoyment out of it. If everyone hates it and no one buys anything and no one wants to look at it, I'll be upset for sure. But yeah. like, I'm not going to send myself broke no. and homeless to like do this thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that with the music stuff you're talking about is as much as I think about like, if I was to run a record label, oh, no way. That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. But for other people, setting up and running a record label and putting out, you know, a... a seven inch by some band that only a few people like or whatever 
that's their version of yeah, the, exactly. this indoor cricket yeah. team. Indoor cricket is like such a reference, I think, because my dad played when I was a kid. That's fine. But, um, we all know indoor cricket is yeah, yeah. a thing people like to do. And it's probably not even that expensive. Like, <laughs> I think I think if you put running a record label and indoor cricket side by side, the fees are different. Maybe like owning an indoor cricket centre. Yeah. I knew a kid whose dad owned a Zone 3. There was, you go. And we got to go on a tour of it and uh, he played cricket with my brother. That's how I knew him. There you go. But the guy's like, Come, it's Travis's birthday. We're at zone three all day as much as you want to go. Oh, sweet. And that's like, after three goes, you go, oh, it's still the same. I'm tired. And he was like, do you guys want to see it with the lights on? We're like, yeah. (laughs) And so you turn the lights on and it's just a crappy... It loses all its its magic. It's just a crappy warehouse with a bunch of dividing walls and a bunch of fluoro graffiti everywhere. Yeah. Um, But anyway, yeah, I think about, you know, obviously Resist, for example, a label that we've both been on and has some of the biggest bands in that genre attached to it but is an independent label yeah started out on such a small scale like you know they would have been pressing lots of 150 cds or whatever yeah Uh, and then you think about a parkway record on how many that would have yeah but then you've got you know uh like the the lair crew nicole and the boys like they're not trying to buy a yacht off putting out records they're trying to they're putting in all their money they're putting in extra time they're doing all the design work. They're flyering and promoting it all. Yeah. And putting their, basically putting their name to someone else's art as well. Like, yeah. you're kind of vouching like, hey, I think this CD or album or 7-inch is good enough to put out. You're also saying like, I vouch for this. So if someone gets there and goes, this is dog shit. You're sort of, that's the band and they're also going to judge the label. So everyone's putting something on the line for it. So yeah. you've got to be passionate about it. Um, yeah. Just as much as art can be totally subjective. Someone might go, this is all shit. Yeah. What was what was Aaron doing promoting this thing? Like this yeah. sucks. I think it, it won't be. It'll be it'll be okay. <laughs> I can't say it'd be amazing. It'll be yeah. But it's it's funny when when like like there's a point where you have to make a decision. I think where like that's and that's where like where in the past I would have seen it as people being like oh they fucking dropped out or whatever. But in reality, yeah. like there is a point where you have to decide like. Am I going to keep doing this at least for now? Yeah. Am I going to keep doing this forever, or like, am I, I'm okay with not doing it anymore? And like, I think as I'm, the years are rolling on, I'm fully realizing like, oh, people don't drop out because they're like, I fucking hate hardcore, or like, I hate this. They just go like, you know what? I don't need to spend twenty dollars. Yeah. On this thing anymore, and I don't need to every Friday and Saturday. Night, I don't need to go to a show. I don't need to do this. Like. I mean, maybe some people do, but I think for the most part, like most people that I know who sort of have moved a little bit away from it or whatever and found other things that you yeah. know, take up their time, it's a lot of the time it's just because like that spark or whatever has moved to something else. Like it's not... Yeah. And I don't think it's exclusively all the time that way that they're like... So there's definitely be some people who one day they wake up and go, you know what? I hate all this shit. Yeah, yeah. I never liked it. Yeah, yeah. I thought I did, but I didn't. And that's fair it's enough. also fine, people, yeah. People have those those kind of life changes. But, you know, I, I, I definitely, in my early years involved, would, you know, see people who were older, like, stop coming at, and, or they, you know, they turn up and be like, oh, I haven't seen you for ages, man. And there is like a judgment to that at the early time, but you got to remember, like, that's your, like, salad days. You're, you're the one that's at every show in that period. That's where all your friends are from. It's this whole kind of thing, this bubble. Yeah. And then sometimes you get to a point and you're like, oh, there's a whole new generation behind me and they're they're enjoying their glory period of that. Yeah. And that's awesome. Like, And if that runs for 30 years or it runs for three years, it's, it is what it is. As long as they're positively contributing and mm. not like, there's just no time to waste on tearing people down who are new to it and tearing people down who are old but giving up on it. Like, yeah. It's such a weird. That's such a weird thing that I find with, a specifically, hardcore. Yeah. And some of my friends, who are involved and still are in, like, you know, Mindsnare and the associated kind of group of people, were people that were, the old school when I first got involved and are still involved. But yeah, they've got kids and they got families and, they got jobs and like yeah. you know commitments. But they still give their time to it, and I feel like. I can see myself being more of that role. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think the same thing. And I think for me too, yeah, I think if ha- if I was going to like get over it, I feel like 
I'm with it enough and I've spent enough time and money that by now I would have like stopped. Yeah. Like I would have... If you were expecting some grand payoff, you would have <laughs> already cracked the shits by now. Yeah, like, exactly. You never got your raise. No. So like I think... And I think the thing for me now is just like the way I look at it is like, all right, well, I'm going to do the, the thing that I do for work. I'm sort of like getting pretty good at now. So I'll just keep doing that. And then I'll just funnel all the cash <laughs> that I yeah. make from that into what I actually want to do. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, like I'm, I'm glad I don't have to pony up my own money to do things at work. Like people just give me money to, to yeah. be there. But like, I think it, it's like, I think it's, it's different obviously for people like yourself who that it's ended up becoming your living. Like that's, yeah. You know, but it's also diversified, you know, like I, the amount of, hardcore related that was in inverted commas but I realized you can't see that, can't see that. hardcore related <laughs> design work that I do yeah. is fairly minimal these days in Absolutely. comparison yeah. but um, I get really excited when I see that people are doing things to maintain and grow that scene so whether it's like the Lair Fest that was just on and they yeah. had a under 15 get in free or whatever yeah, like yeah. that kind of stuff gets me really excited because I'm like that's how it should be and they should be encouraging that I grew up in that freezer scene like the underage whatever yeah so you know there's some terrible 15 year olds doing bands out there that Mm. sound absolutely rubbish but i'm not gonna judge that like that's that's what will become the people of the next round of smith street band and luca brazis and whatever and every like the other thing too is like everyone's got to start at that point and everyone's got to figure out how they're going to involve with it as well yeah. like figure out and I want the scene to be healthy and thriving because I do like to go and watch bands play I don't go to every show but if I'm going to go to a show I want to know that it's like a positive place and it's good and yeah, there's yeah. like there's people enjoying it or whatever so I love seeing those kind of things where you know last the the Lairfest the the deli and restaurant all weekend were just full of people who had like travelled in from interstate and they were stopping in or whatever yeah I think that's just an awesome kind of yeah. all round vibe. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny. It's, I mean, it's funny how that feeds into something as well. Like how, you know, obviously there's specific like cultural subgroups that have fed into something like the deli. So that yep. like from hardcore, it's easy to get over to that because of, you know, like well, veganism, veganism and awareness and, and yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and like, you know, the people here that know about it, know about it, you know, from when it started because it was, you know, involved with yourself and Mo who've been involved with music and like, yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. It, there's a line that can get you there. But then how that spreads out for, you know, for like you guys now as well, like how yeah doing that has really changed a lot of things for you guys, I would say. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I think it's just um, the type, type of people that go to a place, it's... And it's like the original viral marketing is like someone yeah. going somewhere and telling their friend about it or, yeah. and now obviously posting about it and promoting that. So the spread of people that go to the deli is, is so wide. And, and I'm like, although I was involved in the whole process of building and designing the deli, yeah. it's the girls that run it Absolutely. and the staff that are amazing there. I really, I don't, I don't work in there in any uh, area except for repairing stuff after hours, <laughs> I guess. But you know what they create in there and i can talk about them in this way because it's not me so i'm not like like pissing in my own pocket about it but the experience that they create for people i i wouldn't go to a place where i have to wait in a line and like be happy about it but people yeah enjoy it's a place that people meet people bring their dogs there's a park around the corner and people have used it as kind of a an anchor point in that that area of the neighborhood or mm. if you were planning on going to hang out on a Saturday Arvo, a good place to start would be, we'll get lunch there and then we're going to yeah. go to see that show that night or we're going to go to whatever. It's sort of, um, which is what I really, what I am most proud of with the deli, um, obviously is that it's it's vegan and it's promoting that to a much wider audience than, than regular whatever. However you want to promote veganism, I think the best way is by having good food. Absolutely, and, yeah. Um, so it's done that but it's also created you know a a meeting point and a community for people where they feel that they can you know it's it's a positive place it's like um there's no sort of judgment it's like a 
a million different type of people go in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like what you've described is like how my experience has been with it. And, you know, like I'm not vegan, but yeah. I use it as a place where I meet up with people, get food, then go to something else. Or, yeah. you know, like, and it's worked out great for that. And then I've had the flip side of it too, where like, you know, a lot of people from interstate, like, yeah. you know, come here and just want to go there every day which yeah. is I'm also fine with and that's an, <laughs> e- that's an easy thing to do and like you yeah. know it's like a whole other podcast possibly a different genre entirely but like adult friendships are difficult you know like yeah, yeah. being a, a friend as an adult and especially making new friendships is difficult so they're usually focused around an event so whether it's like drinking at a bar so that's more of maybe a nighttime activity yeah um, you know viewing something so whether that's art related or music or you know museum or whatever mm. but like having a, a meeting place that's it's the social pressures are like hey we're gonna just get some food and then eat that food and we'll decide what we're gonna do it's sort of um i think that that style of shop doesn't exist so much because you're you know as much I'm, I'm a big fan i'm a big fan of the the brown cheesiness of lord of the fries yeah yeah but like you kind of you go there you get your food and then you you eat in there and, and leave and or you get an ice cream somewhere and there's sort of elements of that, but the deli is that sort of true takeaway where you meet people in line that you know, or you run into people there, or yeah. people want to talk to your dog yeah. rather than you and work <laughs> directly through that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely a really cool thing. Um, and it's sort of a, a place that you can just sort of drop in and you know that you'll see someone yeah, you yeah. know, or you can just find something interesting that you want to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, and so I guess in with that though like your contribution to this you know it's a, a business that you're a part of yeah. but you're not you're not in there making food and yes. you're not yeah. making decisions about how things taste in there no but like that being said so i'd say like uh you know when they you know when you guys sort of i'd before it came up uh, announced or whatever i'd spoken to you and mo about that you guys are going to make a cookbook right and yes. like and again like yourself and mo if you're talking about a cookbook, the the food that was in there, that's not no, you're not the person exactly. coming up with the food exactly. But that's still something that you had a large hand in. And yeah, well, so I I was a co-designer on the cookbook with a guy called Vaughn Mossop, um, yeah. and he was an amazing cookbook designer and really worked well with us. So the other side of that is that Shannon, our business partner, is the recipes and the the food ideas, mm. and then. Mo actually has a, a degree in journalism and her background is in, in writing and her, her amazing skill is being able to pull together a massive amount of content and put it into something that is consumable. So yeah. whether that's press release or into a cookbook. So enable it to, you know, draw the, the talent of Shannon is these amazing recipes and doing things in a different way. So Mo is able to sort of draw those out of her and get them down into this book, which makes it, you know, a compelling read. And also it allowed her to tell the story of the business and the history of what Shannon and her had created and why they had come together to do that. And also about, you know, we wanted to put a little bit of history of the businesses into the book. So it's, there's a bunch of photos from when we we first got the space and when we did renovations and there's, um, you know, write-ups on why we did certain things a certain way. And um, yeah, I think the book is like, as much as it's a cookbook, it's, semi coffee table book yeah, style. yeah um and it's been really well received like it's it's been a really good seller for the publisher um it came out right before christmas which was a real bonus as that sort of gift giving yeah yeah it's an easy get my mum bought a bunch of copies yeah and uh gave them to different friends or whatever yeah yeah um yeah so the cookbook is awesome it's it's been a really and it's also been a a really good way to spread what we're doing out further not everyone can get down to visit or yeah not everyone goes out for dinner in fitzroy you know some people live an hour away from the city or yeah yeah you know but you can buy it in the bookshop in castle maine or you know sure. at the big w in melton or whatever you know there's it means that it can reach these sort of further places and it's out in the states it's out in europe yeah um, it's been translated into dutch yeah sick um there's no ebook version, but that was a, a conscious decision that the publisher and us made. Yeah. Because it really is like the beauty of the photos and the, the feel of it. Like it was designed intentionally. It's not on like 
crappy paper and it's just like whatever it's yeah, meant yeah. to feel like a real nice yeah book um so like obviously that's not the first like book thing you've been involved with um, no but it's definitely the most professional yeah i would say and was what was it like was it the process of doing it was there a lot of like learning you had to do in terms of um a little it was so writing recipes the way that recipes are written on paper and translated with measurements and size and stuff mm. is very specific and so the publisher we work with publishes a lot of cookbooks hardy grant and yep. they Vaughn is really has done a bunch of books for them and so that was something that I was a little unsure of because I don't use cookbooks particularly yeah. so I don't have a vision of like how they should be so that was a really big thing and then we really wanted the in-betweens of the recipes where we have sort of like chapter breaks mm. we wanted to get across what we're all about and the the vibe of the restaurant and the vibe of of the girls and why we've done things that way so that was where I was really able to put in um, obviously I have the archives of everything we've ever done so there's a lot of photos from the works and things like that mm-hmm. um, that's where myself being a designer but also having been involved in the business since day zero could sort of push that into the book yeah so being able to sort of wedge these these little bits of um, our our culture I guess you'd call it like yeah. into the book so it means and it also breaks up breaks up the book it means that when you when I look at a, a cookbook or whatever I flip through it and it's obviously photos that grab you first. Mm. So we have food photos, food photos, and then there'll be a break and it's a bunch of photos of all the t-shirt designs we've had, all the merchandise or yeah. photos of the... I shot some photos of the kitchen crew cooking in the way that I would shoot a, a gig photo. Like yeah. it's slow shutter speed, there's movement in the kitchen, there's like flames and shit going on on the whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because that's sort of how I picture it you know there's a lot of movement in there everyone's working really hard and it's flat it's like full steam ahead so Mm. I wanted to we wanted to stay away from the like better homes and gardens style you know like the way that things are plated and displayed so we had uh, an awesome photographer called Bonnie Savage and uh, a stylist Lisa and they you know worked to make it feel like us it doesn't feel like it's been put together by the Women's Weekly. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's got the Smith and Daughters sort of feel to it. Mm. So that was the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool experience. And it's so cool to see the book interacting with Mo and Shannon as far as people are excited to see them and hear them speak about the book. So they've done events where they've spoken about it at, at bookshops and book events and stuff. And mm. um I really love seeing them do that stuff because it's such a it's such a whole other leg to what they have to offer. Yeah. They're both great at what they do and the experience that people have when they come in the restaurant or the deli and Mo and her team make them feel yeah. is great. But then to have this other people take away this this object, be able to read about the girls themselves, about their history, yeah. um, about how how they both grew up and then sort of feel like they relate to them more which is really yeah I think that's a really cool part of it yeah is that like and has it given you I guess drive or inspiration to do other things like that like uh, is is like is like I guess you know I don't know what to just call it like books but is there like is that giving you more mediums now you can see yourself putting artwork into uh, I mean yeah, I, I would love to do a book of my own someday. Yeah. I would really like to... Uh, I've sort of got some, some rough scratchings, but I'd love to write and illustrate a kid's book. Mm-hmm. Just now that, like, I guess, you know, we had our discussion about people dropping out of hardcore or whatever, but it's yeah. like, I'm in the area now where all my friends are having kids or, yeah. like, you know, I'm an uncle to two young girls and and I kind of... Whatever I'm involved in, I sort of see... I see those things that are there and what exists in that world and I think how could I apply my skills to that so yeah if I go out and visit someone's farm I like look at the way that they're I look at the side of their shed I'm like why don't we do a giant sign for your business on the side of that yeah, or yeah. whatever so when I look at kids stuff I look at kids toys and kids books and and uh you know artwork that hangs in babies rooms and stuff and I'm like oh I could I'd love to have a go at doing some of that yeah and now having kids in my life that I feel strongly about because their fr- their parents are, you know, best friends of however many years or I'm directly blood related to them. I'm like, mm. oh, I would love to create a book for you that really 
has all of my creativity poured into it. To yeah, right. Give that. So that's definitely something that I would like to try and achieve in the next few years. Hmm. Um, whether I release it independently or it actually became a commercial thing. Yeah. But I just think that'd be such a cool gift, even if I just did a small run to have to give to friends who have kids. Yeah, like, yeah. Here's this story and um, and kind of have have things in it that are a nod to... Uh, you know how in a lot of kids movies there's jokes that are in it for the parents that yeah, go yeah. over the kids heads like uh, I've got friends who are like my friend uh, a guy who play, I played in her movie with Billow he was like you should do it you should do a kids book man mm. I'm sick of reading this one like <laughs> I read the same one every night to yeah, this yeah. Kid, you know it's sort of like I'd love to uh, I'd love to be able to have that and then you know one day if I have kids of my own to be able to to yeah. show them and be like, look hey, at this thing yeah check this out and they'll be like whatever is it on iPad <laughs> I don't care yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is this paper you've just handed um, me but yeah books for sh- books would be cool but I don't know if my artwork really translates to a book but creating a book like that would um, yeah. but I'm sure there'll be more book projects in the future I think that uh, they're just such an easy gift yeah. like I, everyone talks about how publishing is dead and you know mm. it's hard maybe that's true with traditional newspapers and magazines but yeah. the gift of a book is such a a special thing and it's not, not something yeah, that- but I mean that all being said as well like if you'd told me I don't know 15 years ago that like oh man in 15 years people will be buying records like when I first started yeah. playing music I never imagined having a vinyl release like I was like yeah true you know I was like all that I thought about was like buying CDs because that's all I bought and that's all I cared about and then yeah. when that how that came back through various parts of you know Subculture where now it all like yeah. they sell more like at least in you know the scenes that I'm a part of mm. records are the things that sell now CDs aren't the ones you sell lots well, of well when when um, when we put out the first Hernavia record which was 2005 mm. on Resist um, I don't even think we, anyone even asked if it would be on like yeah, it's yeah. just going to be on, like it was just it's going to be on CD yeah yeah because that's that's what, what you buy. buy. Yeah. But now like we, so I have the band with Chris from Her Nightmare and, and um, Josh and Mike, a couple of other guys from different scenes, but they like, we're doing a vinyl release. And then he was like, yeah, can you do the graphics up template for a CD? And I was like, oh, are we doing CDs? Yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, we're just going to do like a hundred just to have them. Like some yeah. people want them. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. People but like, <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, well, most people are just going to get it on Spotify anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's super. Yeah, it's it's but it's it's one of the and it, that's that's a similar thing too. Where like, um, in the sense that like, when the first thing that I put out or that I was a part of that came out on vinyl, I was like so so fucking excited by it because of it being a physical thing. Like talking yeah. about the book, how it's not an ebook. Yeah, like to me, the way you know that I obviously like seen and interacted with the the cookbook, yeah. but like. I can't imagine why you would have it on there anyway. Like that to me, that takes yeah, away half the totally. experience of it. Like, and you know what? Actually, it's crazy. I was at Zenith Records the other week, the pressing plant yeah. in Melbourne, and um, I I don't even think about. It. I'm moving house at the moment, and I've got a big stack of records. I don't have many records, but not many records is still a pain in the ass. Yeah, like, exactly. I have like maybe any, any of them. I have maybe like sixty records, yeah, and yeah. it still sucks. But I was at Zenith, and it's like I forget like there's music on little black lines on a yeah. piece of like wax, wax yeah. or whatever, whatever it is now, plastic, I guess. Yeah. But it's like, who thought of that? Like, yeah. how, that's crazy. And then and I'm kind of like, it's so beautiful. Like it's this thing and it's carved and that's where the music is. And then I go, well, shit, what's a CD? Yeah. Like yeah. there's music on a mirror. Like how did this work? Like <laughs> those weird rainbow colors yeah, you see, is that yeah, where yeah. the music is? I remember the first time, do you remember having CDs as a kid where, Every CD that I owned was like a valuable piece of, yes. you know, whatever. Like there was no excess CDs lying around. Now yeah. it's like, well, not now, but five, ten years ago when CDs were prevalent, in your, you get in your car and if you hit the brakes on too fast, CDs would just slide out <laughs> from under the seats. And was, it'd be like a rainbow light beam shooting everywhere. Like, oh, shit. I also remember a great turning point for that for me too was as a kid when I would put in this is a good reference point yeah. for you to took us an hour to talk about Michael Jackson. Yes. But putting in... Cross that off. Yep. I'd get out the history CD and I'd hold it with like two hands. To, again, yeah, touch the edges only. Yeah, yeah. Don't... And then... Oh my God. But then me at like 18 in my car, I was just like grabbing them and like jamming them into the CD. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. 
and you'd, you'd flip it out like as a little kid i remember that like you'd you'd press down the little teeth in the middle of the cd thing not too hard you don't want to break them pull that out and it's the disney afternoon soundtrack you put that in you listen to you know the ducktales theme song then like flash forward i'm like rummaging around while driving into the little side thing yeah pulling out cds like that's not it look at the one side of it there's like Cheezel's dust and like Sprite that's been spilled. I just like rub it on my shirt, yeah. jam it in the player. If it doesn't work, bring it out, give it another rub. Um, they became so valuable, but I remember being a little kid and the first time there was a CD that was to be destroyed. Like as in like, this CD is no longer useful. It doesn't yeah. work anymore. And getting to break a CD, because I'd yeah. be like, what's inside a CD? And it's like, nothing. And they're really hard to break. <laughs> And they're kind of like dangerous and to break. Sharp, yeah. yeah, but I rem- I vividly remember like putting it in between two of the decking boards at our house and stomping it across to like snap it. And I'm like, oh, it's just kind of flakes off and it's yeah. still clear. I don't know. It's weird. But it's so funny. Yeah, CDs were such a valuable thing though. Like our and my parents still have some of the original, the first CDs we bought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure my mum has. In the house, those. we're like everyone gets a CD. We've got a five disc turntable, <laughs> so. My dad bought Richard Marx. Yep, great. And, uh, that's still at, at the house, like, ready to go. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, well, I don't want to... I'm real self-conscious now about blowing no, out no. the length of podcast. Let's do what, it. What are we doing? Let's stop. Let's yeah. stop. <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. Okay. Well... Oh, well, We don't okay. have to cut it so abruptly, but, no, you know, no. I'm just... Um, dear listener, thank you. Dear listener, thank you. Callum part four. Um, what do you have anything you want to well, plug? Do you have anything I mean, I briefly talked about the show, but I should promote because this it's a few months off, but December 1st, uh, you should just keep track of all uh, probably my Instagram is going to be the best flow. Yeah. Um, the gal, I have got the gallery, but I won't say it now in case something changes or whatever, yeah. but, um, December 1st, I have a solo show opening. So my Instagram is just at Callum Preston as one word. Um, and the show is all based around the suburban icon of the milk bar. So okay. when I was 12, I worked in a milk bar. And so I'm basically recreating that era of milk bar yeah, awesome. that I worked in. So there's, I'm going to start releasing more and more about that in the coming months. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to feel very childhood Australia, I think. Yeah, awesome. That's sort of, I've become a little bit obsessed with that era. <laughs> and so that's where I'm at. Um, and then... The band that I'm in, Eaten by Dogs, which is a alt country band, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We have an album coming out, and we're gonna re- we're gonna launch that October 14 at the Tote. Cool, uh, and it's full length, and it's on vinyl. Awesome, it will be on vinyl. No CD snapping. Uh, there is CDs also oh, available. You can snap the CDs if you want, and it'll be on Spotify, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, eat at Smith and Daughters and Smith and Deli, and check out the cookbook. And uh, yeah, no okay. discount. I just. I'm promoting it, but I'm not offering a deal. You just, <laughs> Don't come and ask me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think that's it. Cool. Well, yeah. thanks for doing the podcast Thanks again. for having me on again. I can't wait for number seven. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> Cheers, man.